King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream. But they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Balthashazar, from the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And I said, Balthashazar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven, called me in a loud voice. Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruits. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was really perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, O Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in the branches for the birds of the air, you, O king, are that tree. 
You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw the messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the most, the most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing the right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became more greater than ever before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let's give him a hand. Come on. Thank you all. <clears throat> I feel like we could go home after that. We have the story. Uh, it's good to see you all. It's a great day to be inside. It's a little damp out there, uh, but it's really good to be gathered today. Before we jump into what does some of these things mean that we've read, 
I was told by one of the ushers that there's a blue Ford pickup out front that has the lights on that may have an impact on your lunch. <clears throat> That's all I got to say about that. So all the people with Ford blue pickups can rise. No, I don't know. Uh, just want to let you know about that. So the story, uh, we've, been, we've been in this series in Daniel. We're the fourth chapter in. And uh, what we are learning is that Daniel, part of the Israelite people, were taken captive by the Babylonian government, which was the ultimate power of the time. And uh, Daniel and his three friends were pulled out and brought into the king's court, hired by the king and was part of the government of the time because they had a high ACT scores, I'll call it. They had high aptitudes. They were pretty brilliant guys. And they were okay. And Daniel, as you heard in the story, was given the name Belteshazzar after one of the gods that, uh, of Babylon. <clears throat> he even took that moved into the temple, I mean, moved into the palace area and was able to, to work with the king there. But there was two things he would not do. He would not eat the king's food and he would not worship the gods. But he would worship only the God who created all things, only the God of heaven and the God that gave you the breath that you just took. Yeah. And we thank God for that for sure. <clears throat> It's interesting that this chapter and chapter 4 and these chapters in Daniel aren't necessarily chronological. And so, but this fourth one's unique because it has, it has Belteshazzar on it. He does some of the writing in it. It's interesting, isn't it? How God uses uh, his writing for us to be encouraged. So what is, what is it that is overall in this writing? I think the main point of Nebuchadnezzar's writing this letter, the main point for us to learn as we, we're going to step through it some, is that uh, to let the whole world know, he's wanting to let the whole known world of the day know that the God of the Israelites is the God, is the most high God, and that God is sovereign and ruler of history. And he says that on the front end and on the back end of the letter. He bookends this chapter both saying kind of the same thing. I praise God and I honor him for his wonders and what he has done on the front end. And at the back end, I stand up and, and there's seven years and probably more than that between the front and the back. So in this chapter, there's at least seven years that goes by. So it's an interesting kind of story. If we back back into just a little bit from last week's lesson, we find that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, though, in his power had a way of, uh, the power uh, can get a hold of us, any kind of power. Power in the peer group, power in the school, power in the workplace, power in the neighborhood. It has an impact on us. And he had a way of talking about power that was interesting at the end of chapter 3 when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego uh, come out of the fire with not even a, out of the flaming fire that was supposed to burn without even a smell of smoke. He says some things that I think are interesting. He says, anyone, anywhere of any race, color, or creed who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guess what he's going to do? I'm going to tear their limbs off. We're just going to have bodies bouncing around. And I'm, go and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to crush your homes. Yeah, right. Okay, so that's his motive. That was his first response. And he makes the same response several times. He says it again in chapter 4 as we begin it. Uh, 
He says, it's my privilege to report about the miracles of this Most High God and every race and color and creed should know about this. His miracles are staggering, His wonders. This is the first part of chapter 4. He is really acknowledging who God is. But we have to know that Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful person in the known world of the time. And so he's getting fed on the sides and by his own ego a lot of other things. And we know that what he's, what he's tremendously troubled by was a dream. He had one back a, a chapter or two back. But he's kind of a dreamer. And these dreams are troubling. And he didn't know what to do with it. He tried to get in all the wise people from the other providences that he ruled over. But they couldn't tell him the dream. He, had, he knew Daniel uh, had a different way. And there was something about him. And he even says, I know that you have the spirit of the true God in you. I know that. And he asks him to come and, uh, and to share what he... Uh, and, but Daniel hesitates to tell him that the tree and the dream represents you. In verse 22, he even says that. Verse 22 and 24, when he's telling him that this tree that represents the hugeness of your empire, that's as big as the world, and it covers the four corners of the earth. They still call, thought the, fir, the earth was a rectangle instead of a, a circular, Okay. And so this tree was everywhere, meaning that Nebuchadnezzar had incredible power. But that this was going to be taken from him. Daniel hesitated telling him that. But Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar had enough of a relationship. And Daniel was confident in who he was that he was not afraid to talk to Nebuchadnezzar in confidence and in honesty. And he even says, I think in verse 19, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, I wish that this dream was about some of your enemies and not about you. He's trying to temper the meaning of this dream before he steps into it with him. Um, But he finally does say, yeah, this is, you know, uh, he's going to be humbled because uh, you're going to be driven out of where you are. You're going to eat grass. Uh, This is going to happen to you, Nebuchadnezzar. And verse 22 and verse 24, he says at two different times, and this tree is you, and what's going to happen, and you're going to be driven away out of your kingdom. This is you, Nebuchadnezzar. This is God's edict for you. This is what's going to happen to you because of you believing that you're the most powerful person. And so, it's 12 months later. The text says, I believe, it says, 12 months later, verses 28 to 33. And um, so I will ask you all a question. What do you remember from 12 months ago today that was a really valuable conversation? October 7, 2017. Go. Yeah, right. Do you remember anything about October 7, 2017? The only thing I remember is I have a brother, Lloyd, who has a birthday on that date. And Kathy and I probably called and sang happy birthday to him off key because that's the way we do it. Um, <clears throat> so, Nebuchadnezzar. Believes by this time that maybe the, th- the dream is gone and God's forgotten about that. And he stands on his, in his courtyard. We have a picture of that, I believe. Yeah, can you see him? Oh, look at what I've done. 
Look at this palace. I did all this, you all. Look at this place. Look at the vastness of my kingdom. It covers the corners of the world. It's all because of my power and my uh, my rule. Ultimate power rules. Ultimately, that was his kind of his phrase. Yeah. It was in those moments that we heard the voice from heaven saying, your kingdom, O king, is going to be taken from you. And you're going to be driven from here for seven, seven seasons, seven years. It's going to be preserved, but it's going to be taken from you until you can understand for sure. <laughs> and here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to lose the mind that you have. You're going to go out in the field and you're going to eat grass like an animal. And your hair is going to grow out. We have a picture of somebody's idea of what he might have looked like. Let's go to the next slide. Ooh, ouch. Yeah. Wow, that's a little different than the previous one, isn't it? Yeah. That's an artist's depiction, thoughts about that. But he went from being a person standing up to somebody in the field. Now, if you leave here today... And on your way home, some of you drive out of town a little bit, and you go down the road, and out in the pasture field is a cow. What are you going to say to the people with you? There's a cow. Or if it's a horse, you're going to say the same thing. Or if it's a sheep, it's the same thing. But if you see Eric out there eating grass, that's going to be a little troubling, isn't it? Or if you see Glenn, or if you see Kathy, or if you see me out there, it's going to like, there's something that's not quite right about that, is there? Woo! There's, that's just not right. Wow. Two things happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. His kingly throne and power was taken away from him. Absolutely. Secondly, he was separated from society like an animal in a field until he could learn that the Most High God, the God of creation, the God of Israel, was supreme and sovereign above all gods. There's a lot of commentary and a lot of people have written about this, about the details of his animal life, uh, kind of what it was like for, the, for that time. But what we do know is he lost his power and he lost his control. And out in the field, he didn't have any control. No. Is all taken away. But it says in verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar, I looked up to the heaven. I was given my mind back. I'm reading from the message version. I blessed the high God, thanking and glorifying him. I, Nebuchadnezzar, am singing the praises to the king of heaven. Everything God does is right and does it the right way. Hmm. I... Oh, all of who I am to the God of heaven is what he's really saying. This is kind of the back end, the book end of what he'd said on the front end. This God, if anybody, race or country or creed, says anything about this God who does all these things, signs and wonders, I'm going to tear their limbs off. On the back end, he says it again, but there's seven years or more between where he had to learn a hard, hard lesson. Wow. He had to learn that God, and he says it in verse 37, God humbles the proud. God humbles the proud. Think about that. 
He knows God knows how to turn a prideful person into uh, a prideful person into a humble man or woman, boy or girl. And we say, well, why? Wow, that was a hard lesson for him to learn. He had to learn it the hard way. Listen, I would hold up to you that you and I owe our existence and the gift of breath that you just took to the God of heaven, the God of creation, the God of Jesus Christ, the God that knows your name, and the God that loves you dearly and wants you and I to live life out of a humble heart uh, for beyond what we can do ourselves and for others. I believe, I believe that that was what God would have for us. <clears throat> we can't truly function as human beings until we have the spirit of the holy God in us. We will always revert back toward something else. Yeah, we will always do that. And I, without the spirit of God in us, Nebuchadnezzar had times when he was just, he was a rash maniac. Yeah. If you can, in chapter 2, do you remember? If you can't tell me the dream I had, I'm going to rip you apart limb by limb. I'm going to crush your half. That's all. You just think about how crazy that is. Yeah. In chapter 3 then, if anybody worships any other god other than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they don't even smell like smoke and they've been in the firing furnace. They're supposed to be dead. I'm going to do the same thing. Just take your limbs off one at a time. Crush your half. That's all. It, he, like He's a crazy man. But we shouldn't be so surprised. The history of our world, before Genesis chapter 3, we were in complete shalom with God. We were, in, we, we were in tune with who God is and who we were in Christ. And we were in tune with others around us perfectly and with creation. But in Genesis chapter 3, I would hold up to you that pride, that the sin of pride happened there and that trickle down is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And that trickle down, to, my friends, is here today. Can you hear the, Do you remember the story in Genesis 3? So Adam and Eve are doing good in the garden. They've got everything. Life is perfect. They call it perfect shalom. Peace with God, self, others, and creation. And Satan says, so did God really say you couldn't eat from that tree? Yep. Well, guess what? If you eat of that tree, you're going to be as wise as God. It's a prideful thing, right? They fell for it. And we've fallen for it. And human, has, human beings have fallen for it ever since. And we have, to look, we have to think differently. We live in a culture that prides itself in individualism. I'm in charge of me, and you're in charge of you, and you leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone. And if you try to get into my life, I'm going to get on the media, and I'm going to, through Facebook or Instagram or some kind of blog site, I'm going to beat you up verbally. And have we ever had a heyday in the last few weeks on each side of the political arena of that? Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it's sad. Individualism. There's some distinctives that we want to look at just for a couple minutes about pride and humility. 
The dangers of pride is I think the pride is the root of all sin. It began in Genesis chapter 3. And it's still a part of us. It's still a part of us today. And the necessity of the importance of humility. Well, Howard, I just want to be a wimp. People are human or just wimps. They get stomped on. They're not going to stand up for what's right, blah, blah, blah. Daniel was a humble man. Did he get stomped on? No. But he was respected, and he respected those in authority. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I think that humility isn't weakness. It's a confident and appropriate assessment of ourselves as we live out the teaching of Jesus. Did you get that? It's a confident assessment of ourselves as we live out the teachings of Jesus where we're doing life out there. That's what humility is. Pride is smugness. Pride is superiority. Pride is threatened and can't learn anything from anybody else and can't empathize with anybody. They just want to talk about themselves. I can't empathize. I can't even create deep relationships because I'm not, I can't get done talking about myself. I'm not going to even listen well. It's threatened by others. It can't stand to go. It can't, it can't empathize. It's threatened. It's always comparing and controlling and wants to talk about what I've done. The writer Hemingway, for example, took his life because he couldn't stand that somebody else was a greater writer. How sad. There were other things, of course, that went into that, but he took his own life. Pride is threatened in the presence of someone who can do something better than I. Yeah. Threatened. We're threatened. Somebody that's better at sports, in music, uh, better at what you just name it. Yeah. Then, if I think, well, I don't like the way they do that. I need to check that thought. Yeah. Pride also robs our joy because we believe that everything as life is owed to me. I'm at the center and I'm entitled. I deserve this. Why did Hemingway take his life? thought somebody else was better than he. Yeah. We make kingdoms out of everything. Yeah. I hear once in a while, the kingdoms of our sports world could be K-State. It could be, you name whatever group, whatever sports person thing is yours. Yeah. The Chiefs kingdom. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? What kingdom? What is the kingdom that we're a part of? We live in a world that puts kingdom on a lot of things. And I believe that Christ, you and I as followers of Jesus, think about the ratio between Daniel and his friends to all the people of Babylon who were worshiping themselves and prideful and the impact that those four men had in that kingdom. That ratio is still alive for you and I, I believe. To recognize the kingdoms. I love sports. I love teams. I love, uh, I love a lot of things. And, I lo- and we're, to be, we're to be okay. I think it's okay for us, certainly, to, be a, to say, I can do this well. I may not do it perfectly, but I can feel okay to have confidence in ourselves. But also to do it in a humble kind of way. <clears throat> so, pride robs us of joy. Sometimes it makes us difficult to even have relationships with other people, go deep with others. How do we overcome pride? I'm going to give you three things. We own our mistakes. Get friendly with these two words that help you overcome pride. Two words. Write it down. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Maybe you want to go home and just practice in the mirror. The person, yeah, practice in the mirror. Secondly, um, let go of defensiveness. Pridefulness places you and I on uh, shaky ground because we're fearful of losing our position and status. And so we can't accept criticism as a learning experience. And we... It's awesome. Yeah. Criticism is a learning experience. And we, but we can take it personal and we can get defensive and we can't improve. All criticism is not for us to try to digest. But there might be just a little piece of it that I can learn from. But pridefulness, I'm not even going to listen to it. So I'm not going to learn and I'm probably not going to improve. Thirdly, uh, the third thing is that practice mindfulness. What does that mean, Howard? Well, it means being aware of somebody else's successes. Can I celebrate when somebody else does well? Yes. Can I, or do I see it as a threat? Celebrate somebody else's success. Yeah. The successes. I think, you know, I like to celebrate when I see that. We come into the worship center, a new series is on, and all of a sudden, the people who have gifts have come up here and changed some stuff that would look like a stack of lumber if I did it. Yeah. Or to have people that put in time to read this story in a dramatic kind of way that helps us kind of get inside that. That's, my friend, I believe what God calls us. Well, how do we... So, what about humility? Again, humility begins with the recognition that everything I am, possess, or receive is from God through Jesus. And And it includes the breath you just took. For sure. So chapter 4 is, 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 is easy to fall into pridefulness. We know that through Nebuchadnezzar. When I believe that I'm the author of everything and I own everything and I'm in charge of my destiny, be careful. We might just fall off of our throne just like Nebuchadnezzar did. <clears throat> As he stood in the balcony and was just pontificating about how wonderful he is and just how much he had done. And beware of that. That everything you and I have is come to us as a gift. <clears throat> Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant but to put their ho- or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But put your hope in God who richly provides everything for you for your enjoyment. Yeah. Humility, two things in your outline. Humility, daily surrenders to Jesus as Lord of all things. Humility, daily surrenders to Jesus as Lord of all things. Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is Lord. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is Lord. Yeah. I think that's really important because if Jesus isn't Lord, there's only really one other option. And that's you and I. In some form. In some form. Yeah. Jesus is Lord. That's really an important one for us. And humility always shows gratitude. It surrenders that Jesus is Lord. But it always shows gratitude. 
Nebuchadnezzar had momentary times when he surrendered everything, but it was really difficult for him, wasn't it? But at the end, and writers who have write have, have written kind of maybe fictional things about how it went from him as king after he'd come out of this seven years of eating grass and and uh, crawling on his hands and knees, that he became a king that was very, very, very different. Gratitude um, is the readiness to show appreciation and kindness to someone else. What does that look like for you and I? What are the prideful things in your heart and mind this morning as we think about um, being honest this morning? We're going to take communion. And when we come to communion... Uh, we come with an op- we come with open hands and open hearts. What is that thing that kind of keeps keeps you crawling back on the throne of your own life and pridefulness? What is that? Something I can accomplish? Something in who I am in a position? Something I can do better than some? What is it for you? I can tell you one of the things it is for me. Those that work with me would know that. I know in my head and my heart. That going hard, going fast, and going long at work and whatever I do is sometimes a good thing. But out of bounds, it's not a good thing. And Satan would play the tape in my head, you all, that goes like this. Howard, your worthness to God is in how fast you can go and how hard you can work and stay the longest and put in the most hours. People in your church are going to love you more. Your neighborhood is going to love you more. Your wife is going to love you. That's a lie from Satan. Yeah. What is it for you? What is it for you? As we come to the table today, this is a table. We're invited to this table, the table of humility today. Because when we read about what happened in heaven one day, as Paul's writing about this in his words to the church in Philippians, listen to how he writes it. He could be writing the letter to journey. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think equality God with God was something to hold on to. Instead, he gave up his privileges in heaven, took a humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. We'll celebrate that in a few months at Christmas time. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. But God elevated him to the place of honor and gave him a name above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and earth. Every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This, my friends, describes the love of God and the humility of Jesus. So as we come to the table today, we practice an open communion. You're invited if you're on the journey with Jesus. Wherever you might be, we're at different places on that journey. And maybe you're just beginning that journey. Or maybe this morning you just realized, man, I've been on the journey about me and pridefulness. I don't like that. That's not what God best is for me. Come to the table. Maybe you've been on the journey with Jesus for a long time. Howard, I've just been going hard. I've been working, working, piling up stuff. I'm accumulating stuff. Life's kind of about me, but I don't say it that way. I really need to reset some things. Come to the table.
Yeah. Today's Worldwide Communion Sunday. In the world today, there's estimated 2.4 billion Christ followers. That, and if we're, maybe if there's only 2 billion of them taking communion today, I don't know. But we're practicing this with other people who are also saying the same thing we said to each other. Jesus is Lord. Can we be a people that lives that out? Can we? I believe you are, and we can. But it's an internal check today as we come to the table. And uh, you'll be invited to come to the center aisle and come down as you feel led. And uh, we know that this bread represents Jesus' broken body for us. He came willingly to earth, and, but God elevated him to the highest place. So when we come, we remember Jesus giving his life for us. And the cup, in the same way, represents Jesus' blood poured out for us in a cruel, gruesome death, the symbol of the cross behind me. That's what we remember. But we remember today the emphasis on I come with a humble, open heart because I want Jesus to be Lord. So before we, again, you'll come to the center aisle, come here, you'll be served, you can come to the front and the back. If you can't get up and be served, others can serve you. Um, and um, we're, I, I'll invite us to share the Lord's Prayer together from the screen, or if you know it, uh, this is okay to, you, to, to read it from the screen. Obviously, you're going to have your eyes open. God's okay with that. Okay? So uh, let's read that together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.